0: Welcome into Tailgate. Austin Gale here with Mike Renner in sunny Cincinnati. A handful of things on the catch and early buzz today. Chris Collinsworth, first time in the Cincinnati office in a long time. He's He's here? Yeah, he's here. I didn't see him. uh, He came in, said hello. He said, where's Mike? Obviously being lazy, doesn't care about his job, doesn't care about his career. And I had to like affirm Mm -hmm. all those things, obviously. Um, The other thing is your girlfriend's out of town. At a modeling gig in Atlanta, okay. you're going to be an absolute menace this week. Well, opening day is tomorrow. You're going to be a menace. It's, uh, uh,
1: it's not going to be a menace, but it's going to be a good time. Yeah, I mean, uh,
0: you're going to unleash. You're going to rip it up. I'm excited for you. That, excited uh, that, for you. The fact that she's out town does not impact me. My chances of ripping up anymore. I'm you your try. roommate, Mike. I Got know it. how it impacts things. Okay, it goes from movie nights to some other. You know, you're you're banging it with the boys. I think that's what's <laughs> going to be happening. So I'm excited for it. No, I'm honestly excited for you. Chris is in town. Girlfriend's out of town. Opening day on Tuesday. Cincinnati home opener for the Reds. A lot to be a treat of. You know who's a big Reds fan too? It's Mike Quinn. Yes, Mike Quinn is a monster Reds fan. We should go to some Reds game. And now appreciate- Joey Vado's on Twitter. I saw. And he's on like the, He's following the Tom Brady sort of game plan where it's like,
1: don't be on your entire career. And then right when it's kind of like starting to like, maybe I'm going to retire, get on. So you're still like in the limelight. You you have the public eye on you. So you build a big following before you retire. And then you parlay that probably most likely into some sort of
0: post baseball career. We need to get to some Reds games with Mike Quinn. Have to. Joey Votto is also on TikTok. And it's like one of the worst accounts I've ever seen. It is heinous other thing it's hutch week hutchinson the uh, or hutch the four-part podcast series with aiden hutchinson that i hosted five hours of aiden hutchinson content drops on wednesday april 13th make sure you tune into that big shout out to our director of communications david zofaro for pushing that through booking all those interviews all that stuff It is going to be a phenomenal piece of content as much as i wanted to hate it because you know michigan man whatever but it's fantastic i
1: can't wait and I am mean, very excited.
0: I am stoked. I am absolutely stoked. Last few things on the catch and only buzz, kind of taking a bit of a turn here, but had the news over the weekend that Dwayne Haskins. Oh my God! Twenty-four years old, hit by a car, struck by a car, um, and, and died on, or I think, pronounced dead on scene. An awful, awful tragedy for you know. I, I don't even. I, my opinion on this kind of stuff too is like just you we're bringing him up because obviously this is a football podcast mm-hmm. but I don't think you need to bring up football at all in this situation in my opinion like I don't think you do it's like a 24 year old kid died yeah. and that's that's it period and um, obviously a tragedy man and uh I, I you know why we we're you know discussing on the caption Buzz, one you know thoughts and prayers to the to the Haskins family and his close ones i think you saw a lot of support rightful support for Haskins on twitter and all that stuff when that happened um not from everyone though which was absurd to see Schefter with a p- poorly worded tweet to start, which like, to be fair, like sent out the, you know, he struggled to catch on with some stuff. And like that wordage, that verbiage was also used in a New York times article, right? Like people brought up his football career in article content, just not in like, don't in the 140 character tweet. That was like the start of it. And then Gil Brandt on Sirius XM radio reacts live to the situation and essentially i don't want to play the audio because i don't think it deserves the airwaves but essentially a lot of i mean essentially racist comments in my opinion and also just some really rude unnecessary comments about his evaluation as a player and as a person right on the same day that he's dead reacting in the moment and he had a tweet come out saying apologize and he was reacting in the moment didn't mean what he said no when you're reacting in the moment you say the truth and that's how Gil feels. I thought that was heinous. Ninety years old. I don't think he's going to be on radio much longer. Yeah, Gil Brand has me blocked, so I think I'm on the right side of history there. Right side um, of history. I, I will say you just don't have to have a take.
1: I, I do think a lot of the sort of conversation around um, Dwayne Haskins is indicative of how the how players get like commodified as um, when you're looking at the NFL, commodified and dehumanized in a lot of ways, yeah. and especially in like For draft sure. analysis um draft analysis and like the whole uh you know projecting from college to pro like the evaluation process like really dehumanizes guys because they're seen as a means to an end and not necessarily the humans that are the guys playing football the guys that are out there on the football field they're oftentimes just seen as a number a a, a, you know a, a line a row on your model a uh madden rating like that's what they're seen as and that's like guilty of it too shit like that growing up like that's what you saw a lot of mm-hmm. the guys as is just a number when you're playing Madden. and they're 93 overall that is what they are you don't see that that's at, you don't think that that's an actual person when you're doing that so uh, i just think a lot of the conversation when you are you know uh, i'm not sensitivity policing by any means i think that can go overboard too but a lot of times it's just think about that this is an actual person before you go ahead and you know push send
0: I think that was really well said and well put. I mean, the bigger takeaway, the two takeaways from that is what you said: is you don't always have to have a take, right? You don't always have to say anything about a situation. And too often, do we dehumanize a lot of the analysis we have in football? And um, this is this is a human story, not a football story, in my opinion. Um, Off the catch and early buzz, excited to get into our interior offensive line rankings here. Linderbaum in tier one. You're a big fan of Zach Tom. Before we get into that, going to shout out the presenting sponsor. Of the Tailgate podcast. The only true guaranteed quality pickup this season is Manscaped. The leaders in below the waist grooming with Manscaped Performance Package 4.0. Your skill position will be sleek and smooth enough for the four, sub 4.340. Support us and head to manscaped.com and use the exclusive code PFF at checkout for 20% off plus free shipping. So, they want us, Manscaped has gotten back to us. Okay. They want us to do an unboxing of the, you know, Performance Package 4.0 here. And shave my nipple hair. Oh. You have to do it. You have to do it without so without a snag on the nipple.
1: Okay,
0: it's going to be a skilled play, but it's really going to show the blade and Mm. and the talent that the Manscaped 4.0, the lawnmower 4.0 can do. Okay, so that's 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 to just keep the bills again here. (laughs) The bills, the bills. We got to pay the bills with Manscaped because of their ceramic blade and skin safe technology. Your nicks and snags will be reduced. In the season of trimming the roster, Manscaped will make sure cutting the right players and not any important pieces to your D. Look, fellas, don't fall off her draft board. The ladies out there think that long nose hair is a major turnoff. The weed whacker nose and ear hair trimmer is your solution. Why not use the best tools for the job here? April is draft season, but it's also Testicular Cancer Awareness Month. Manscaped is partnered with Testicular Cancer Society to bring awareness to testicular cancer, men's health, and every early cancer detection. Get 20% off and free shipping with code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code PFF. Turn your mystery Irrelevant into a first-round pick with Manscaped. Love to see it. Interior offensive line rankings, starting with the man, the myth, the legend. Well, we're doing – I grouped him into center
1: and guard. So we're going to center first and guard next. As like there are some guys I'll I'll highlight it when I think they have versatility to play either. But for the most part, this
0: is kind of where we're slotting these guys at the moment.
1: So starting with center then,
0: and the man, the myth, the legend, Tyler Linderbaum of Iowa, one of the highest-graded players in all of college football last year. You've talked about him as one of the best interior offensive line prospects. PFF has scouted over the last five-plus years. Linderbaum, rightfully, in a tier by himself. Tier 1, the number one-ranked center and number one-ranked interior offensive lineman in the 2022 NFL Draft.
1: Yes, so highest-graded center this past season. I believe it was the highest power five-graded season from a center we've ever given. Highest-graded center in 2020 as well. And I get the Garrett Bradbury comps. He has a very limited frame. He is 6'2", 296, 31 7 eighths inch arms, 10 inch hands. That, that is probably about, I think it's like 10 inches or 10 pounds, excuse me, lighter than Bradbury was with uh, similarly length arms and both highlighted as these athletic zone centers. But to me, The biggest difference is you go back and look through Garrett Bradbury's grading in college and performance in college. It wasn't until later on his career, senior year, I believe redshirt senior actually, that he comes out and like starts dominating. Tyler Linderbaum was like 260 pound redshirt freshman back in 2019 and earned an 81.7 overall grade. Wow. So it took until Garrett Bradbury had kind of that physical age advantage for him to play good football. Linderbaum was well undersized, no physical advantage whatsoever, going up against you 300-plus know, pounders, guys he's given 30-plus pounds to every single time he's blocking, and still graded out really well. So to me, that, that just bodes better for his projection. It kind of tells me that more skilled, more adept at it, and, and just has played with that physical disadvantage before and played well still. So I believe in Tyler Linderbaum easily the tier one center in this draft class the only tier one center in this draft class and to me the best interior off line in this draft class now it's kind of like tough to compare because he is going to only play center but like as a center prospect he is better than any of the guys who are guard prospects it sucks that we couldn't see him work
0: out i think it was a left foot injury that kept him from yes. working out that is unfortunate because i think he yeah. would have been insanely impressive in he the would. workouts no workouts at his pro day but the measurables we do have six foot two two ninety six thirty one and seven eight inch arms that
1: i want to is- see what his conan shuttle he he was just that's his that's his thing like he can just move so smoothly across the football field he may not be the most explosive we'll get to the guy who's the most explosive here soon but
0: he's just a he, Just an all-around athlete. Also beat up on Tristan Worse in wrestling. We've had Tristan Worse on on this podcast a handful of times. They wrestled back in high school. And Linderbaum, one of the few players to ever beat Worse, coming out. Where do you think Linderbaum ultimately goes? We've been mocking him in the 20 to 32 range for a while. Mm -hmm. Is there any chance he falls to day two? And what's the earliest that you think he goes?
1: Earliest I think he goes, I think Philly could still pull the trigger on him. One of those two picks.
0: And move Landon Dickerson out to guard? yeah
1: and obviously kelsey's coming back but like they just invest in offensive line wholesale that's their thing um i mean they drafted andre dillard to be a backup when he got drafted so they've done it before um but then more realistically someone like dallas tennessee cincinnati Love. i don't he, i don't think he gets past cincinnati honestly they, they'd be crazy
0: to he's just and then they move ted they karras out the yeah you
1: can move Ted Carris
0: guard. he's played guard before Tier 2 by himself, Zach Tom, Wake Forest.
1: So this one's kind of odd. Uh, I put him in Tier 2 here by himself because, to me, he's still a tackle. We didn't bring him up on the tackle class because everyone I would seen is projecting him He literally played guard and center at the Shrine Bowl. But then I finally – I actually reached out to Eric Alco over the weekend. I'm like, why is people, people – uh, why, are, why are people calling this guy uh, interior offensive lineman? Like, why did he play interior? And he's like, well, he we played interior at the Shrine Bowl because – that we had a bunch of too many tackles and he said he could play inside oh and so really? he didn't even it wasn't even because the nfl was asking him to play inside some people evaluate him as center or guard i think he's a tackle and i think he's a he would have been in that tier two of tackles with tyler smith kellen Deesh, or tier three i guess that was he was he's in that tier for me of offensive tackles go back and watch florida state tape didn't allow a single pressure 44 pass block snaps against jermaine johnson now not all of them were against jermaine johnson but probably had about eight one-on-ones didn't allow a single pressure against jermaine johnson in that game one of the most athletic tackles in this draft class, he ticks that short shuttle box that you'd love to see a sub four or five short shuttle is a uh, big indicator of success at the next level. He hit that at the combine, not even his pro day, at the combine and was the highest graded pass protecting tackle in the power five this past year. So Zach Tom, I'm a big fan. I, I don't see an interior player. And, and Eric Alco, the Shrine Bowl director, actually said most of the teams, he said probably 80% CMS tackled the next level. So I'm a big fan of his. That's why I put him in this kind of this tier two. But because a lot of people project him at center, but I think he could be a tackle in the league.
0: Six foot four, three hundred four, with thirty three and a quarter inch arms. That's enough, right? That's yeah. enough clearing that thirty three number to play tackle. Also over ten inch hands, over an eighty inch wingspan for Zach Tom. This past year, like you said, a ninety two point one PFF pass blocking grade for him. He did Semi- start his career at center, also so mm-hmm. two years at center too. Over three thousand career snaps played for Zach Tom alone in tier two at center, mm-hmm. but maybe he is a tackle in the NFL. Tier three, you have Dylan Parham, Cam Jurgens, Donovan West and Cole Strange of Chattanooga.
1: So Dylan Parham tops this tier. This is kind of third round. I would put all these guys in the third round conversation um, where I'd be willing to select them. So I, I, I kind of like this center class. The more I've watched these guys, Parham, he could actually, he, he could be a guard too. I, I threw him in here um, because I think his athleticism would play best at center. Ran sub five second 40 yard dash, sub one seven 10 split. Like he can get off the ball very athletic and he was a guy who played at 285 a couple years ago was very slight on film played right tackle at 285 pounds and earned a 90.6 overall grade has put on over 20 pounds since then played guard this past year has played both guard positions in his career and right tackle had full years of starting experience at all three of those positions so I said if you want him as guard not going to argue whatsoever he could play there for sure he obviously played there really well only 10 pressures allowed this past season and his tape against Houston defensive tackle Logan Hall is the one to keep going back to. He Logan Hall is a guy that a lot of people are mocking on day two. We'll talk about him when we we'll talk about the DTs. He Parm won that matchup, in my opinion. So Parm, top of this one, Cam Jurgens is the wild card in this center class. He is the Nebraska center who, for my money, is the most athletic interior offensive in this draft class. The guy is a freak on film. But he is damn near out of control 90% of his snaps and you see it in the grades 44.1 his first year as a redshirt freshman overall grade 42.7 his second year as a redshirt sophomore only this past year 71.4 because he will have some he'll have so many whiffs but let me read off this guy's testing numbers real quick so 62 304 33 and 7 8 inch arms 10 inch hands Ran a 911 broad jump, four four nine short shuttle, and a seven one nine three cone sub seven two, which is insanity for an offensive lineman, and you see it on tape. He he is a freak in how athletic he is, but like I said, the the grading is concerning with him. That get, he, but well the thing is. I'm about to like shit on the Nebraska coaching staff, but there's a lot of guys who are undisciplined on tape at Nebraska, so it wasn't limited to just him. Donovan West, the Arizona State offensive lineman, played guard his first two years. That he's been starting since his true freshman year. He's actually the youngest interior offensive line prospect in the entire class. Won't turn 21 until May, so have to take that into account. Has been starting ever since true freshman year and graded out really well at guard that first year and center played snaps at both 69.2 overall grade then last year 76.7 overall grade this year and that was at left guard this year 73.3 at center but it would have been a lot higher were it not for like eight bad snaps on his tape like the reason he did not grade out higher this past season because he really struggled with his snap accuracy so maybe you want to put him at guard after that or maybe just hope he learns how to snap a little bit better in the future but a lot of bad snaps on his tape that's something to think about but to me, he has some of the best balance in this draft class. And again, you are comparing him at 20 years old to probably like the oldest interior offensive line class I've ever seen. And a lot of that's because of the COVID in the sixth year, but a lot of these guys we're gonna talk about are 24, 23 already coming out to where you got, like you really just can't compare. It's not apples to apples. He was better as a sophomore than any of these other guys in this class. So besides like Tyler Linderbaum. So it's just a difficult, he could have used more seasoning and would have been able to up his draft stock with a few more years in Arizona State system, but I'd still be willing to take him in the third round despite that. And then last in this tier is Cole Strange from Chattanooga, Senior Bowl invite, who is another freak athlete. This center class has some athletes in it, but another guy who's 23 years old will turn 24 before his rookie season. So on the old side, but you go to his tape against Kentucky, because he didn't play a lot of power five competition literally the only power five competition he played this past year 78.8 overall grade looked like the best player on that field that game so a lot of highlight reel blocks on his tape but just a little slightly built not particularly strong played guard at chattanooga probably will end up at center
0: in the nfl Jurgens is the one that I think intrigues me the most of that group just because of the high end, right, yeah. and the explosiveness. 9'11 broad, a 9'11 broad at his size is yeah. insane. Well, Cole Four- Strange had a 10-foot broad. That's the farthest ever for an interior the lineman. So those are two elite athletes. That's, yeah. how, that's how we, explosiveness. we talk about how athletic this explosiveness. Athletic class is. Juergens, Nebraska, recruited as a tight end. <clears throat> I think he's from Nebraska as well recruited as a tight end, and they get three years of starting experience uh, along the offensive line there, I think is super impressive. I agree that you know, that he is going to be a, a special player in that Tier 3. On to Tier 4, one guy and one guy alone.
1: And this is, this is the final tier where I'm like, you're, you can start this guy. Mm-hmm. You know, this, is the final, this is the final player that I'd be comfortable projecting out as an NFL starter, and that's Luke Fortner, the Kentucky center, has played all three interior positions. Over the course of his career 600 plus snaps at all three center guard and both guard positions probably is the best pure size of any of these guys we've talked about so far uh, probably your best like gap scheme fit of any of the guys we've talked about so far just a very steady all-around center but another guy 24 next month on the older side but i think he's somewhere in the fourth round range but another guy that I think you could be getting started. Maybe he doesn't have the high end of the guys we talked about, and that's why he's in this lone tier by himself, but a very just all-around safe-ish pick in that range.
0: Luke Fortner, I hardly know her. Tier 5 of the centers, you got your guy Jason Poe in here. Yes. The Mercer guard. Alec Lindstrom, Boston College, who is one of the nicest players I've talked to. He's got his own cooking videos on TikTok. Such a sweetheart coming out of Boston College. But Poe, start with Poe.
1: Yeah, so this is the last tier of like – guys I would realistically want to take on day three I'd like mm-hmm. something to offer that I can develop or put into a role Alec, or Jason Poe is the Mercer guard who is another freak athlete in what he does on tape but he is also has an insane build for an offensive lineman he's only six feet tall 300 pounds but went four nine in the 40 nine three broad jump four five two shuttle 31 and a half inch vertical, Ticking all the athletic boxes wholesale and 34 bench press reps. So he is a dude athletically. He has all that. But he started at community college, goes to lenoir Rhine, then Mercer for his final year, for his grad year. Um, well-traveled, but not great competition level. Wish he could have gotten a Shrine Bowl invite. Did not end up happening. Will turn 24 before his rookie year. Another old guy. But man, he's one heck of an athlete. If you're looking for developmental traits, he's got them.
0: This is all I want. This is all I want for Jason Poe. Preseason opportunity on a pole and just blowing some dude up. Just give me that one Poe NFL yeah. preseason highlight. He Maybe he never amounts to anything in the NFL. Obviously, size concerns. And it was also like didn't really grade well for Mercer this past year outside of pass protection. I, 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 I just want one preseason highlight with Poe because the NFL needs to see this kid. Yeah. There's your center class. Onto, into your guard. No, sorry, into your office line. Onto guard here. Before we get to guard, I'm going to shout out two sponsors of the podcast here. Western Southern um, uh, Financial Group, you can see on the studio back here. Tailgate is, Tailgate is sponsored by Western Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western Southern helps advance your money moves, buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. Also, shouting out, PFF also <laughs> sponsors this show in a lot of ways. Right now, you can get 50% off a annual Elite subscription if you use, use code DRAFT50, D-R-A-F-T-5-0. That is draft 50 is DRAFT50 for 50% off PFF's Elite annual subscription. You get the 400-plus page draft guide. All the locked article content that Mike writes and I write. Completely unlocked Mock Draft Simulator. Completely unlocked Advanced Draft Board. And the draft tracker here at PFF. We're also launching, PFF, a little two-parter here, this podcast. It's called Hutch. (laughs) Uh, If you listen to this podcast like, you've probably heard of it. It's a four-part podcast series with the number one overall NFL draft prospect, Aiden Hutchinson. Comes out on April 13th. That is this Wednesday. Show includes interviews with Jim Harbaugh, current and former Michigan players, key members of Aiden's family, media members, and draft analysts. Check out Hutch on april 13th guard prospects tier one zion johnson boston college kenyon green texas a&m kenyon green's been sliding man i think almost too far right yeah, after middling combine and, and pro day performance sliding a bit but zion johnson kenyon green your tier one guards tier one guards and i actually have a take on zion johnson that
1: i would be willing to play him at tackle if i'm a tackle needy team and kind of the top end of this tackle class is gone, and Zion Johnson's still on the board, I'd be willing to play him at tackle. Now, he, he played twenty twenty at tackle. It, he's, he's obviously more of a guard build. He's 6'3", 3'12", but he has 34-inch arms and has played tackle in the past. In the one game he played at tackle this past season, Virginia Tech, was his highest graded game of the year, 87.6 overall grade, didn't allow a single pressure. Now, he has, like, the perfect lab-made guard build. He looks like a running back that's just been, like, pumped up with more air that's just got more like just keeps expanding and one heck of an athlete had the fastest short shuttle of anyone uh, of any guard at the combine four four six short shuttle he is the dude can straight up move powerful dude but he's nearly identical size to Isaiah Wynn Isaiah went was 6'3 3'13 with 33 and three since arms coming out Zion Johnson 6'3 3'12 34 inch arms and two inches bigger hands actually is it damn so, I wouldn't. It wouldn't. I wouldn't be crazy, especially with the value of tackle. I would take a look at. his What's crazy first.
0: about that though is that he was taking snaps like by himself after practice yeah. at the senior bowl every single day. Yeah, yeah, people yeah. wanted to see him snapping uh, at, at the senior bowl. Yeah,
1: he's a guard or tackle in my opinion, and a damn good one. Just very steady. Doesn't have a lot of bad like bad tape. Like there's not much, many plays to point to where it's like, ooh, that's scary. No, he's just a damn good guard. So. He's in the tier one, and then Kenyon Green, too, who's another guy. So Zion Johnson's fifth year, spent two years at Davidson, three years at Boston College. Kenyon Green is just a true junior coming out, has been starting since his freshman year for Texas A&M. And this past year played four, five different positions in the first six weeks of the season. And then by the time he started just playing left guard full time, he was one of the highest graded guards over the past uh, six weeks of the season when he just focused on left guard, which is where he played back in 2020 and looked so good at. So, to me, I'm surprised he didn't test out better. I- I'm honestly not worried about it. Still, he didn't test great, but he tested in the range where you can still be, you know, a Pro Bowl caliber guard for sure. He wasn't a bad athlete by any means. So, I'm still high in him. I, I still think, like I said, I'm very high in Zion Johnson. For him to be in the same breath as Zion Johnson, I think he's a damn good guard prospect. And another guy, 34 inch arms. If you want to play him at tackle, I don't see really a reason he can't, not a high-end athlete by any means, but there are far, 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 far worse athletes playing tackle at a competent level in the NFL right now that I can see him picking
0: out there. Tier 2, Luke Gadecki, Central Michigan, Jamari Salyer, Georgia, Sean Ryan, UCLA, and then Darian Kennard keeping him at guard here. Obviously played tackle yeah. at Kentucky in the SEC. I think he played day one at senior bowl tackle and then saw some reps at at guard at the Senior Bowl as well. Some of the biggest hands in the draft class. 11 and a like quarter inch 11 hands. and a quarter inch hands for Darian Kennard. Insane build.
1: So this tier two, so tier one is, if you draft those guys the back end of the first round, not really gonna argue. It's kind of where I'd start. Tier two, it's kind of back end of the second round. I'm not gonna start, I'm not gonna argue. And Luke Gadecki is the guy who, I remember when I first flipped on Bernard Raymond's tape, I was, I was like, which one is he? Because I'm looking at the right tackle, and I'm like, this guy could fucking play, too. I'm like, who? Like, I'm looking at both tackles and just didn't know the number. I'm like, that guy looks like an NFL tackle, too. that's Luke Kadecki. He is 23 years old, um, has kind of taken a circuitous route. He did not have a rival's profile coming out of high school in Wisconsin. Damn. Went to Wisconsin Stevens Point, D3, where he played tight end. He transferred then to Central Michigan, ate 1,000 calories a day, 7,000 calories a day. 1,000 calories a day. I know. 7,000 calories a day to get up to his 315 pounds that he is right now. Um, Gained over 100 pounds since high school to get to where he is now. Um, And had a 94.3 run blocking grade last year. And it's no fluke. This this isn't the scheme at Central Michigan pumping these guys' grades up. They are damn good offensive linemen. There was actually a, a quote in his combine profile on nfl.com from a anonymous you know nfl exec that said i like him actually even better than bernard raymond and as far as like guard prospects go he's damn good like just this guy has another if, if i mentioned the guy's balance i really like him and i really like kadecki's balance I, I think he you just don't see many reps of him falling to the ground when he loses it's you know he's fighting to the dear end and not just and to have that balance without
0: playing offensive line for a long time, yes, right? That's, 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 that's really rare. I know we've talked about in the summer before you know, what's most important on the offensive line, what traits do you look for more. That balance is something that obviously you prioritize, yeah. but you also rarely see with guys that haven't played it for that long. Yes. <laughs> it's one of those things that you kind of have to pick up.
1: So that's big for him. ACL in 2020, though, and then he had a hamstring injury before he even got to the senior bowl. You're, I think, like warming up for the senior bowl, very first day of practice. So never practice that senior bowl, which was rough for him because I think he would have balled out and could have made himself a lot of money there at the senior bowl. But to me, he's a tier two guard, probably back end of the second round is where I'd start taking that. Profiles really well in both pass protection and run, and as a run blocker. He was grading out well, only seven pressures last year in pass protection at tackle, which Love the tackle guard converts. Literally all these guys are tackle guards in the Mm -hmm. tier two. All these guys are are college tackles who profile the guards at the NFL level. Jamari Salyer, the Georgia offense tackle, is next. He's a guy who's played every single position along the offense line at some point during his college career, and he's only 21 years old still. Four years at Georgia, has played 39 snaps at center, 141 at left guard, 148 at right guard. 1098 at left tackle and 163 at right tackle so been through the ringer there and this past year 86.8 pass blocking grade at mostly left tackle and and George's kind of scheme with how tight their splits are on the offensive line and the tight ends how they use them with the RPOs and stuff oftentimes the tackle position there is similar to NFL guards and what they're asked to do you're not working in as much space as certain schemes in terms of pass protection so projectable in that regard and then he was the best pass protector throughout the week of practice the highest grade pass protector at the senior bowl so did the best of any guy in the one-on-ones there that always going to put stock into that how a guy looks there I think he uses his hands really well and just a very well-built guard 6'3 321 I I don't want to call him just a phone booth guy but he excels in a phone booth that's for damn sure
0: built for a phone booth it looks like that's that kind of he's got I'm not sure he could
1: make his way into a phone booth without (laughs) why so (laughs) two more in this tier Sean Ryan is the UCLA offensive tackle who grew up playing rugby actually was a rugby star was on like a junior national team or something here in the U.S. and I don't know how but he's a true junior and he turns 24 in uh September of this year which doesn't really make sense to me but that's interesting. I don't know how he. I don't know how he got to college at 20 years old, but he got to college at 20 years old and started as a true freshman at left tackle, 57.6 grade, 2020, 73.9 grade, 2021, 83.9 grade, and by the end of last year, he was. You even saw it from week one towards the end of last season, like he is advancing by leaps and bounds. And this is a guy who, no one, the only player who has ever been 320-plus, only offensive line who's ever been over 320 pounds at the combine to beat his vertical jump and broad jump. Any guess as to who that is? Colt Miller? Nope. Who? Tristan Worse. Wow. He's the only player who has beaten his, so he had a 34-and-a-half-inch vertical jump and a 9'2 broad jump at 323 pounds.
0: That's insane. So he is
1: explosive as hell. So he's like, if you're any at any point in time you're in a conversation with Tristan Wirs, which we said that about Tyler. Lindberg. You know, he's in a conversation with Tristan Wirs athletically in terms of wrestling. And Sean Ryan in a conversation with Tristan Worse in terms of his explosiveness. Jokes, yeah. That's a good that's a good spot to be in. So he is one heck of an athlete, but his feet on tape are a mess. He needs Coaching for sure is probably not a guy I'd start right away. Of all these, all the other guys in this tier, I think can be day one starter. Sean Ryan, I'd worry a little bit, but physically, truly is all there with Sean Ryan. Last guy in the tier, Darren Canard, built insanely, as you alluded to, eleven and a quarter inch hands, thirty-five and a quarter inch arms, which are almost too long at times, but. He knows how to use him, 89.0 plus run blocking grade for three straight seasons at Kentucky. And the thing was 2019 and 2020 was a different scheme than he ran this past year. A lot of down blocking, counter power, that sort of stuff. And then they ran more outside zone this year, a lot more stuff on the move. And for him to grade out well, still was impressive. I don't think he's athletic enough to stick at tackle though. So that's, he played right tackle over the course of his career at Kentucky. He never played on the interior. But he is probably going to have to play guard in the NFL. He had a four-nine six short shuttle, eight one, one, three cone, is just limited in terms of his pure mirror and athletic ability. But one of the nastiest offensive linemen in this draft class, a on and off the field. Yeah. I mean he has a mean streak. He wore the
0: what was the shirt he wore at the? I don't remember what it was specifically, but it was, it was aggressive.
1: He wore like an anti-COVID. It was like an anti-COVID, was it? Me, or... I'm looking it up. It was, find that, and I'll, I'll go on a little bit more about him. But when he gets his hands on you, it is over. Like He has incredible grip strength, incredible power in his upper body. But again, the feet, the sort of pure athletic ability, is more that of a guard i do like though that he did lose like he was listed at 345 in kentucky and carrying some bad weight. got down to 322 for his pro day and uh, looked a lot better
0: he wore a trader joe's hoodie. oh yeah that was it uh trader spelled like T A R D I T O R, and then also said the pandemic was a scare tactic and that joe biden is selling away your freedoms one at a time so he is he is uh he's adamant in his beliefs he's he's he, he wears, i i honestly you know political whatever about political views but it's like wear them on your literal chest at it, an event where like speaking either side can affect you yeah. is, is honestly an integrity play that I respect. You know, yeah. at least re- regardless of whether I agree with his
1: views, at least he's willing to wear them with his chest. And that's what know. he said. He said, I want people to get to know me. I am not, I have well, no." We really well, we found out really quickly. We he, found out. He does wear, <laughs> also wears an American flag. Uh, not even a duo rag, like the head, headband. Yeah, under something, his, yeah. Under his uh, helmet. So that's Darren Kennard for you. The last off guard here in tier two. Quinn's favorite player. <laughs> tier 3. And this is a big tier 3. I I I like I said this offensive interior offensive line class, I'm a fan of, and this tier 3 I think can all be starters. Maybe not right away, but I, I this is so we've already gone through six players now at guard. And there's six more in this tier 3 that I think can be starters. So if we're talking about 10 guys, I profiled two starters and that can be competent stars you even have some of
0: my guys that i like pretty low here That's... i like i like ed ingram i think he could be higher in this tier i like zachary thomas of san diego state a lot mm. and lasita smith oh, yeah. too like there lasita smith i think of a lot of the guys that we've talked about i worry probably the most about run blocking but mm-hmm. like his his pass protection is really good super smart player yeah. so and I, I know you like marquis hayes as well but some of these guys i i mean i would consider in that tier too but i, I don't think they're like you said they, these there are some guys here that will start that could start yeah. early too
1: logan bruss first on this list the Wisconsin he was right tackle at Wisconsin so he's the top guy of tier two and this tier two is probably mid third to early four to mid fourth is probably where this tier is going to come off the board or where I would you know value this tier I don't know where they're going to come off the board by the NFL standards but this is where I would start to value this tier so Logan Bruss right tackle at Wisconsin very nimble athlete despite you know with good size, 455 short shuttle and seven five seven three cone, thirty one inch vertical, nine four broad jump, like ticks every box in that regard. Had a eighty two point five overall grade this past season, and again, that's at tackle. If a guy's grading well at tackle with guard sort of traits, they'd probably grade better on the interior. So, yeah. fan of Logan Bruss, um, I think he's just an all around guard, could even be a center at the next level. Marquise Hayes is the Oklahoma guard. I I do worry, he's probably one of the, he's probably the highest guy, highest player, player I'm highest on, who's maybe like below where you'd like athletically. We talk about guys wanting to tick every box with them and not wanting to draft bad athletes. Marquise Hayes tested out is not a great athlete and there's not really any sugarcoating it with him. but. He uses his hands so well in pass protection that I tend to forgive him for that because that matters. And his independent hand usage—you saw it on tape consistently, whether it's at Oklahoma, whether it's at the Senior Bowl—I just think he's has very, is very skilled and coordinated big man, which is still important. You can still win with that. And we talk about athleticism and how much it matters, but. Into your office line is probably the least correlated to actual athleticism mattering. a matter. So still a fan of him. Joshua Izudu is next, the left tackle slash left guard for North Carolina. And I say slash left guard because on tape at North Carolina, he quite literally split time every game, 10 of, ten of his 13 games this past year at left tackle and left guard. Which is absurd to me. I, I don't know why anyone does that. But midway through games, he would be either left tackle or left guard, depending on basically whatever they felt like playing him that day. Still graded out well. 77.8 overall grade this past season. Just kind of ticks every box, whether it's athleticism, whether it's frame. He, he just kind of has an all around skill set that I think will translate to the next level. In, Ed Ingram's next guy you just said you liked out of LSU. Um, but I like all these guys this year, so mm-hmm. it's hard to really say. But he's explosive on tape. I think he uses his hands really well in pass protection. He's just a little stiff, in my opinion, as an athlete. Um, that I'll go for the guys who are a little more loose and a little more flexible at that position. But he started in 2017 as a, I believe, true freshman for LSU. 72.3 grade as true freshman. The worry is, well, so then he got accused of sexual assault in 2018 prior, in, prior to that season, got suspended for the year, charges were dropped, gets reinstated, comes back, splits time in the 2019 season, and really never developed in terms of his outfield performance. Goes 60.0 grade when he did come back, 74.7, then 73.0. So you never really saw that next step after a really promising start to his career. Now he's 23 years old, and you wonder where that developmental curve's going to end up with him. Zachary Thomas is the left tackle for our Aztecs, San Diego State. He's great run blocker, one of the best run
0: blockers in San Diego State history. Yeah,
1: I mean, he can really move physical dude, brother of Cameron Cameron Thomas, Thomas, who's actually like two years younger than him, which is weird that they're both in the same draft class. Yeah, Cameron Thomas is 22, Zachary Thomas is about to be 24. So quite a bit younger. very good run blocker, like you said. Pass protection, some issues there. I, uh, they'll get alleviated to a degree. Like his playing in space was an issue at tackle. That, those will be smoothed out in the interior, but not to the degree to where I'm really going to be confident, like, a, you know, go, like some of these other tackle converts in this class. And then finally, Cita Smith. Like I you said, your guy. Only 31-inch arms, though, for Lysita Smith, which is kind of wild to me. He has a very thick build guard i mean he is barrel chested big ass arms but another guy who 24 in july he'll turn and only a 70.3 overall grade this past year so physically ticks a lot of boxes but the arm length combined with middle and grading profile just a little bit lower and that's kind of like the last tier that's i'd say it's meaningful yeah i put a tier four here of thayer munford andrew stuber and justin schaefer who are just guys who i think can play in the nfl but are limited to a degree and what they bring to the table, and then Tier 5. So that's Thayer Munford of Ohio State, Andrew Stuber from uh, Michigan, and Justin Schaefer from Georgia. And then Tier 5 to me, other guys who just you'd maybe draft towards the end of the draft. Chris Paul from Tulsa, Caden Mays from Tennessee, Ben Brown from Ole Miss, Cordell Volson from North Dakota State, Jason Hines from LSU, and Bill Dunkel from San Diego State. Those are your guard tiers. Lots of talent in this class
0: yeah i think i'm surprised to see how low you are on chris paul i know there are some chris paul truthers out there some people really do like him bill dunkel though i'm not surprised by did not have a good all-star tour and also um i i was not as impressed Mm -hmm. with him as i was with zachary thomas there at san diego state i think my favorite of this group honestly when you highlight that tier three specifically you know i maybe look at avoiding a zion johnson or kenyon green and you do have some value there, some starter potential in that tier two too right mm-hmm. like gadecki salyer ryan Kennard. um some value in this offensive line class interior offensive line class, specifically a guard and at center shall we get to the superlatives
1: then? yes let's do the superlatives here so the best mirroring ability and pass protection belongs to zion johnson boston college no real surprise there i just talked about him being able to play tackle which i'm not talking about with a lot of these other guys so that should tell you that best hands and pass pro belong to luke Gedecky, the central michigan offensive tackle i think he i mean to get by with 32 and a quarter inch arms at tackle the way he did he had to use them well and straight up did best zone blocker on the interior class tyler lindenbaum that one's pretty obvious best gap blocker back to Gedecky. he's he's a strong ass dude man what do you do like 30 something reps on the bench uh at his pro day uh he can best mirror
0: and best gap for good too you're gonna to get to that as no, well best best hands hands, in, bro man
1: he's good dude i mean that's why he's top of tier two here so most powerful zion johnson yet again he's standing next to that guy like i can't stop talking about his bill but like he was not i wouldn't describe him as fat you know 315 pounds and did not look like he was carrying bad weight what's a lot of
0: it's in his legs like he's got really thick lower half and that is usually what a lot of offensive line coaches and a lot of offensive line evaluators covet like it's exactly what everyone was talking about senior bowl man he's just built to play guard in the nfl
1: freakiest is cam jurgens the nebraska center talked
0: about that a lot and then nastiest is darian canard ducky has to be oh yeah it <laughs> just has to be um that is fantastic there are your superlatives for the interior offensive line to close out the show the fun to read save your likes and then our power ranking segments is back then we have interviews with North Coast State head coach Matt Entz and um Washington State offensive tackle Abe Lucas who I've heard from a little birdie that he could sneak into the first round some people are saying Abe Lucas could sneak into the first round that's from our reporter here at Doug um, or, or Doug Kide, He is writing a piece on asking around the league on who can slip into the first round, and that's one of the names that's popping up here. Starting with the fun-to-read, this was a spectacular piece. This is from David Zach, who I don't know if I've seen tweet before. He is the creator of the Fantasy Z-Score, writer with Fantasy Pros and Dynasty Nerds. Um, he's also the 2020 number one wide receiver ranker at Fantasy Pros. Tracking stats that matter is how he finishes his bio. And then here have deep into four plus years of interviews on wide receiver prospects over the past few months. There are a few, there are, these are my takeaways. Disclaimer, I have no credentials whatsoever for these evaluations. I'm a data nerd, hoping to discover more data points. My favorite of that screenshot. So, so let's describe the yeah, screenshot. Yeah, the screenshot is a bunch of the top receivers in this class, like the top 10 or 12 receivers in this class. And then letter grades for their interview slash football IQ. So it's their interview IQ and their football IQ. And then a, another column for their likability. So he hasn't interacted with a single one of these players. Yes, because there's replies to his tweet saying, (laughs) did you have these interviews? And he said, no, I just got clips from combine interviews, post-game interviews, and for historical ones, team interviews after the draft.
1: So if you, like, want to do this for your own kind of edification, by all means, if you want to make judgments on guys based off these interviews and stuff, I mean, NFL teams do it, sure. I I get that you're not interacting with them. You're an outsider who doesn't have access. You can do that, and, and shit, we do, too. You
0: get a guy tells you he has a spreadsheet of the past rushes he's gone against, and you cake your pants. So. I actually have a, a take I want to clarify here. I was on with Matt Collar, who does a Purple yep. Insider podcast, and he asked me, like, you've interviewed a buttload of people. I've interviewed, I think, over 200 people over the last two years that were going into the NFL. And I think the biggest takeaway I have after doing all this stuff is that You can't necessarily find, you know, you're you're like, oh, I interviewed him. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. Oh, I interviewed him. He's going to be really good. I think what you find in the interview process, honestly, most is guys that will last. Like you can, in the interview process, I think the biggest takeaway you can have sometimes is, oh, wow, this guy can stick around the league for a while. Because if he is, you do get like the work ethic stuff. You get in the commitment and what he wants to do and what he's trying to do and how he's going to get there and all that stuff. Mm You know jonah williams interview was great he's not going to be a hall of fame off at the tackle yeah. because he doesn't have the measurables of the athleticism that's more of that prospect stuff but you'll find guys that'll stick around when you do in this interview process right because if they are i think you can learn a lot from that i think the best interviews come from guys that will last a long time in the nfl for their work ethic and what they want to do i, I what i was going to say is i think interviews more so are
1: i don't want to say a box to tick but guys who don't tick the box of guys who come off like they don't know what the hell they're talking about can't communicate whatsoever. I just like, wouldn't like, you know, if I'm running an office, I'm not
0: sure I would draft those guys
1: who are incapable. And
0: sometimes checking that box is more valuable to some teams and some front offices than it is for others. And if like, it's similar to arm length, right? Mm -hmm. If you don't check the interview box, which I think there's a series of boxes. It's, you know, your built your football IQ, your ability to communicate your football IQ, your likability, your your work ethic, and Mm -hmm. some of these other things. But like, if you don't check that box, you're gonna have to overcome it in other ways, right? <laughs> Which is maybe you're the freakiest athlete in the draft, or yeah. you're the best route runner, whatever it is. But the, just because a guy loves ball, or just because a guy
1: is all about it, just because a guy's gonna work his ass off, does not necessarily raise him up a board for me. No, like, that's it not like that. Ju- that shouldn't impact it in a positive manner because like guys can be motivated by money, mm-hmm. you know, like guys be motivated by things that aren't football and still work their ass off because of it. Or guys can not work at all but have insane talent and that still wins out in the end. So I'm not going, going to use it as a plus, but it is incredible to me that this guy went through the trouble of doing all this and then pushing it out to the world as
0: something that we should have this massive takeaway on. My <laughs> thing is, like we, is if, if you are doing something where you are not working with the players yourself yeah. and creating composite scores of quote unquote likability, you're doing something wrong and that no one asked for. That's the take. Like, you put oh. Jamison Williams' likability as a D and you've never talked to him. His football IQ is an F. You put George Pickens' likability as
1: a C- and you've never talked to him. He loves Garrett Wilson, though. A-plus football IQ, A-plus likability for Garrett Wilson. That guy. I mean, he's going first in all his fantasy drafts, apparently. I has to But be. This, this also is kind of indicative. Not indicative. I don't know if that's the correct term. But I know it's it's just like – the. I know NFL draft analysis on the whole is weird mm-hmm. for the most part, like outside of draft analysis. Very it's dehumanized weird, at times. Yeah, It's, it's very a weird, weird business to be in. I'm mean, not even going to chew code it. But fantasy draft prospect analysis takes that weirdness to another level. Like everyone has their model that spits out who is their top the watchiever. Yeah. most likable. Yeah. It has to be quantify everything. Um, and it's just an odd way, odd approach in my opinion too human beings projecting to
0: the nfl i love some of like the big splits in this too george pickens interview football iq a but likability c minus guy's an asshole worst person
1: in the room dude knows football but he
0: (laughs) (laughs) he might punch your mom in the face (laughs) don't invite him to any parties so it looks like he did respond eventually and said rephrasing and removing likability will just be interview score going forward which i guess is I mean, regardless, I think it's ridiculous. Just don't, my opinion, just don't, like, don't do that stuff. If you're not talking to players, don't do it. You know, we've talked to actual people who are in front offices making these decisions for teams, and they say they do some psychological testing, they do some quantitative analysis of their answers, but it's not in any way, shape, or form likability stuff. It's more like just, like, more like psychological testing right it's like standard stuff in that area but i don't know it's uh it's interesting to, to see that it's a great fun to read great edition save your likes segment it sounds like you were added to a group chat over the weekend and given the cold shoulder so i don't know what a community is on twitter do you know what a community i don't is? I, I you brought it up to me this morning i have no idea i was added
1: to a community by lance line of it's called draft analysts so in this in this community is Daniel, there's there's 15 people in it, but some of the high-level ones are Daniel Jeremiah's in it, um, Matt Miller, NFL Draft Scout's in, in it. it, Jordan Reed's in it, Jim Nagy's in it, like people who focus on the draft. Um, and so I'm like, here's my sh- chance. I pitched my mock draft cartel influencer idea where- Can you not build it as the cartel idea? It's the cartel idea. I did build it as the cartel idea. I I said- here is I'll I'll read what I said. I said, Does anyone want to join a mock draft cartel where we all decide to be <laughs> you artificially can't
0: a mock draft court cartel? It's not a cartel. Do you know what a cartel is? What's a cartel? Cartel is like a gang essentially that moves drugs and weapons. What? What's the definition of I'm cartel? I'm looking it up. I'm look- keep reading. This is what- no, it's exactly what it is. An association, their manufacturer's supplies with the purpose of maintaining prices at a high level and resisting, well, I guess you're not wrong. So it's, so what we
1: would do is artificially put a guy either low or high in mock drafts, like way so higher. So you said so, this
0: in a chat with like Daniel Jeremiah. This was my
2: chance.
1: <laughs> I had all the mock draft influencers here. I had all the mock draft influencers. I said, does anyone want to join one where you're artificially high or low in mocks on one particular player until his draft prop comes out and then we bet the other side and make bank not a lot of traction not a lot of traction in this draft community that i was in sadly so the dream probably died right there i thought it was a great that idea that is absolutely For a little hilarious that, you did that in that chat it would just be one guy a year and no one would even know so who would you
0: but that also it's like, 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 screws like it's like the we, player
1: doesn't it it doesn't screw up anyone it's like months out the props come out in march we – it's like we, if we just said, you know, Aiden Hutchinson that arm length, we're worried about him. He's, you know, 18th overall pick at best. You know, that guy's a late first-rounder. And then wow, his prop comes out, you know, 18, 16, whatever, under, under, under. Bet the house, tell everyone we know, get a percentage of it, and we come home, you know. Now, for the bigger guys, I'm sure it doesn't make sense for them. They, It's a drop in the bucket for them. But me over here, I'm trying to make plays. So didn't end up happening. Didn't get any – Sounds like
0: every- – can you imagine? So just take for a second, for a second, you're in that chat. Yeah. And Daniel Jeremiah of NFL Media said, yeah, yes. dude, sounds great. Can't wait. I'm hyping up this guy and we're going to be down on CJ Stroud. i fun to just do one guy, just for fun. What do you mean for fun? This is almost like insider information. I feel it's like you like insider almost push it's. You build it as a cartel. It's built it as like a legal. I, I'm not stunned that you got cold-shouldered in there. Mm. I'm not stunned well if Daniel Jeremiah's like yep dude let's do it that would have been hilarious next time I got Kuipers here absolutely hilarious all right he's gonna get power rankings and then the interviews with Matt Entz and Abe Lucas I wanted to power rank today scouting terms Mm -hmm. I did mine on the funniest ones the ones that I think I like and the ones that are used kind of consistently I think you go a lot of different ways Mm -hmm. here but number one I went quicker than fast it's often leveraged I think it's just you could say that about almost anyone and they'd be like yeah you know, I, I honestly feel like you could say it about the time. So the thing is, like, these all make sense, though. Yeah, I, there's know,
1: a, I agree. There's, a, there's quicker than fast is meaningful because some guys can, from a standstill, get to, you know, get it going quickly. Yeah. But then once they're on the open field, eh.
0: I know, just always hear it same. in, like, Mel Kuyper or even Mike Mayock's cadence. So he's quicker than he's fast, blah, 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 blah. Like, I always yeah. do that stuff. The next one I have is literally anything in a phone booth. Someone says, like, he can work in a phone booth. This guy's a bully in the phone booth. He can make people miss in a phone booth. Phone booth is a very often used term, and I love it. I think anytime you say phone booth, it's good. And the last one's oily hips. And it's
1: all phone booth is also great because I haven't seen a phone booth in probably yes. 20 years. Yes, exactly.
0: Yeah. Last one's oily hips. Mike Mayock used to always say oily hips in the pre-draft process, That's and it always got me going. Hey, I, I, I need some oily hips.
1: Mayock was miss him, miss miss that dude. <laughs> which brings me to that first one, which is dude just calling a guy a dude in the, as a prospect it it's so universal though everyone knows what that means it's hard it, there's not like a better word to describe it 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 just he's a dude you know so big fan of describing guys as I think dudes.
0: dude is I, I wish I could go back and redo my rankings i think dude is my dude's favorite
1: in, it needs to be in there number 2 sand in the pants that was mayochism. he he was big in sand in the pants and and it's another one that it's a, it's a quicker way to say mass in the lower half yeah that sand in the pants love it last one and this is the lo- this is the one on this list that i put on that might actually be a term that's stupid that doesn't actually have a meaning and it's long speed because i don't think there's actually a difference between speed and long speed speed is like take. speed is how fast are you at your fastest which is long speed he's got good but long speed. like long speed is saying it's, it's like the opposite def- of quicker it's the than opposite fast, quick yeah. yeah you know it's faster than quick is long speed
0: yeah he's faster than he is quick yeah but that's also just speed yeah <laughs> you know I'm trying to think of other ones in our day there's some other good ones here i think dude was fantastic though freak yeah. often gets overused yeah freak's not a good scout. it's actually a bad scout. yeah i agree yeah i agree long speed he's got good short speed uh that's gonna do it for the power rankings uh let's go ahead and jump now to interviews with north dakota state head coach matt entz and then washington state offensive to tackle abe lucas Now joining the Tailgate podcast is North Dakota State head coach, Matt Ants. Coach, it's really great to have you on the show. I'm excited to talk to you. I'm glad to be here,
3: guys. Thanks for having me.
0: I want to focus a lot of this interview on Christian Watson, who's a high-profile receiver, You know, could go in the first round of the 2022 NFL Draft. You obviously have a unique perspective on his usage and what, what the role you think he'll play in the NFL and just the player he is off the field. But i got to be honest with you, Coach. I've talked about North Dakota, North Dakota State a lot with prospects that have entered the league, specifically Dylan Radins, the offensive tackle that was drafted in the second round, now plays for the Tennessee Titans. And he, the biggest takeaway I have from him is he just talks about a championship expectation at North Dakota State. It's a, it's a program that builds a culture around winning and that's it Uh, speak to that culture that you've developed there at North Dakota State and and what exactly that expectation is for your players
3: well I think uh, you know the the number one thing I probably got to mention Austin is it's not necessarily the culture that I've created Mm -hmm. Uh, it's one that's been created over time Uh, numerous head coaches have have been uh, here and have been extremely successful Um, but I think the consistency um, in our daily environment creates this culture that, that a lot of people want to talk about. You know, culture is a very popular word these days, um, mm-hmm. you know, but what we try to, you know, I think the three things that, that I can hone in on that I think really create uh, our culture is first is just the level of consistency we have. And that goes back to, you know, what you mentioned, the, the standard and the expectations, having a champion mentality here. And that's just not only in the, on the football field or between the white lines, but that's in the weight room, that's in the dining center, that's in the classroom. Um, and I often kind of joke and, and 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 even challenge recruits is that say, this place isn't for everybody. Um, you have to be on and you have to be striving to be the best version of yourself every day, or this place will eat you up and, and, and you won't have success. Um, you know, the second thing I think is cohesiveness. Uh, we've been fortunate going into my fourth year now as a head football coach and uh, have had very little turnover staff wise. Um, but also we have great, the other piece of cohesiveness that I think is critical to any successful program is is the relationships that are within the program or the organization Our player to player, uh, player to coach, coach to coach. Um, a lot of people see the, the success that our program has and see, sees a lot of the, the trophies and the, and, the, and, the, and the accolades. But mm-hmm. behind the scenes, there's a lot of people getting to know one another on a different level. And when you pour into your teammates at a high level, well, then the byproduct of that is them pouring into you on game day and mm-hmm. not wanting to let their teammates down or their brothers down. Um, it, it could be in practice, could be in the weight room. I'm gonna be on time because that's the expectation. I can't, I don't wanna let my teammates down. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, I think that cohesiveness, and we do a number of different things to try to develop that over the course of the year and the minute they walk on campus. But uh, that's something that we are constantly you know, battling is, is making sure that we know the stories of every young man that's in our program. Um, and then probably the last thing that I think is critical for us to continue to have the sustainability that we've had is, is just having balance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when it's time to practice, our kids know what practice is supposed to look like. They know what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they, they know what Monday's practice looks like. Every Monday is the same. Every Tuesday is very similar to each other. Uh, very little um altering of, of, of what we do here. We're a process-oriented football team. Uh, we don't – we're not going to spotlight any one individual. Um, those things happen because of team success, not because, you know, you used Christian Watson's name earlier, not because we're targeting him mm-hmm. 100 times. He gained some success and some notoriety because he was winning at a, at a high level for a good football team.
0: I think that second tenant you brought up there, I think you, you mentioned culture a little bit of a buzzword, right? It's entering that territory specifically around football, but I think that second tenant. I don't think what gets talked about enough, right, is, is buy-in. You need buy-in. You need buy-in from your players and buy-in from your coaches and in the goal that you have. Oftentimes, I spoke to it's a winning culture. You guys want, you know, you want winning is an expectation. Winning is a lagging indicator, right? Winning is a lagging indicator. It's a byproduct of that second tenet. It's a byproduct of of buy-in from a team and buy-in from a supporting coaching staff and players. And I think you speak to that, you know, really highly. I think that's, um, you know, it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal to get it from you know the horse's mouth, right? Talking to players, they speak to it, but to hear you kind of speak to it as well has been outstanding. You mentioned Christian Watson. Let's focus in on him. Phenomenal athlete right he goes to the combine yeah. and lights this thing on fire and you turn on his tape too coach I looked at you know here at PFF we're able to look at specifically 20-yard targets or specific routes like go balls and, and posts this guy's creating 20 yards of separation consistently and you just got to find the way to get the ball to him when you what were your first impressions of Watson before obviously he kind of hit hit this stardom now as he goes into the NFL draft what was the first impressions of him?
3: Well, like you said, uh, just raw untapped talent. Talent uh, was a great track athlete in high school. Played at a, at a high school that is known for football. Plant High School down in in the Tampa area. I mean, I want to say they lost in the state championship his senior year. Might have had 20 catches. Got on campus and was immediately be, just because of his sheer size. I mean, he's all of six four. Um, this last year, I know at the NFL Combine and pro day he was weighing under 210 he Mm -hmm. probably played at 215 all year wow and so when you're talking about a young man who you know can take the top off and create separation like him who's 215 pounds um he's he's a talent and and he he's produced and that's what's that's what's really exciting about is you know it's it's every high school 18 year old comes to this program and has great is talented and has great potential well here's a young man that you know took those two things and created them into success um, you know and, and so it's he he's continually worked at it been great in the weight room been great in our in our in our meeting rooms and in our team room at the end of the season Christian Watson was as good a leader as we had on our football team, wow. um, and so I'm I'm super everything and all the accolades and things that he is he's garnered over the last year or so, or especially the last couple of months, he is he is well deserving of.
0: You've spoken to it at a high level, and I think it hits on a lot of what I want to get after, but I'd love for you to get more specific about his approach to the film room, right? His approach to the weight room, and, and some of these stories that come up, right, With when you talk about Christian Watson and how he got into that untapped potential and saw it come to fruition.
3: Well, I think it, it all starts at an early age. Uh, coach Polly, our wide receiver coach, uh, was able to create that, that connection um, and was able to express in a way that Christian understood that if you want to separate yourself from others, you what are you going to do besides mm-hmm. just what's asked of you? Um, we 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 have a, a a ton of very highly competitive young men in this program. And you know, he, he's one of them. And so we had to challenge him with how are you gonna set yourself apart from the wide receivers at Ohio State, at Florida, <laughs> you know, being at a run-centric program here yeah. at NDSU. And he found with getting extra time on the jugs, watching film above and beyond. One of the unique things that Christian did this senior year is if our staff, if our position meeting started, say, at 3 o'clock, what, at 2.45, at 2.40, he was in there with the freshmen going over the script for the day mm-hmm. or watching practice from the previous day. And again, it goes back to what we talked about, our players pouring into one another and all of a sudden, guess what? These freshmen wanted to be the very best freshmen in the world because there's an NFL caliber wide receiver that, you know, is supporting me getting better. Mm-hmm.
0: And with Watson now, as you go, as he goes on to the NFL, there's been a lot of conversation about his best usage in the NFL. Some some will just say, get him the football down the field, right? He'll create separation and run the vertical route tree and he'll win down the field. Where would you look to get him involved in a game plan right at the NFL level, specifically early in his career, right? What do you think the next steps are in his development, specifically from a usage standpoint as sure. he goes on to the NFL?
3: Well, the, the obvious answer, like you said, is, is is put him in a situation where, you know, play action, he can take the top off because he has Unbelievable. He has unbelievable speed. And then you add his length to it. Mm-hmm. it, it, it it's, it's it's you seldom see the, the combination of the two. But I think the thing that it, with Christian that is is under appreciated mm-hmm. is his ability to run the comebacks and the curls. Um, you can get him. He's a big, long target has a huge catch radius. I think he's going to cause some problems for Some secondary members of of different organizations secondary just because of his sheer size and he's only going to continue to get better. Nobody knows where this young man's ceiling is at right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what is exciting, but also, you know, you know, really compelling about him is, is how good will he be? Yeah,
0: and I think when you do prioritize the vertical route tree, right? When you prioritize the role he's likely going to play, you have to win the comebacks. You have to win the curl yep. to sell those things. So I do think well, that... one is going to
3: set up the other. Exactly, you're exactly, exactly right.
0: And where would you say if you asked him, right? I'm sure you could comment on you know where he needs to improve. But if you asked him, what do you think he's the first to bring up when he wants what he wants to improve
3: in the NFL? Probably his, just c- catch consistency. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know if, he, if you were to ask him, he'd go back and probably say there's there's at least you know three four you know balls that he should have, he should have caught. Maybe it's, you know, is it catch focus, you know, ball, you know, just those things, little details. Um, Did I take my eyes off the football? Am I worried about, you know, the defender versus securing the catch first? So, um, you know, but I think, uh, you know, he's going to do those things. You know, the other area that I think is, is probably, and I don't mean to interrupt you or or cut you off for the next question, but special teams is probably an area where he's going to find a way to help some people. You know, in the kickoff game, or even I mean, Christian and Afraid, he was on our kickoff cover team. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of a sudden, you're talking about a guy who's a 43 215-pound kid. Um, you know, he can cut the field in half, and he can spill the ball carrier. And and I think some special teams coordinators in the league, you know, would would really you know light up if they knew they had a bullet or or someone of that skill set on their coverage teams.
0: I have to go back and watch some of those kickoffs. I've only watched a lot of his routes, obviously, but I have to go right. watch the special teams work as well. Uh, we've obviously talked a lot about Watson. I want to focus on 2022 at North Dakota State as well. Who were some names in that receiving core you expect to fill his shoes? Obviously, big shoes, fast shoes at that. But yep. who are some names that you think are going to fill fill, um, fill him in in, in the receiving core?
3: Well, there's there's three names that, that I think of just immediately and, and and in no particular order but mm-hmm. uh, a young man dj hart uh, dj's from north gwinnett high school in atlanta georgia uh, a ton of raw potential a ton of top end speed and uh, you know is, is is going into his next fall will be his third season um, in our program we always anticipate about year three things start to click uh, and that's when you really start to produce uh, rajah nelson an inside receiver for us from minneapolis minnesota um, could put a foot in the ground, change direction in a phone booth. Nice. Um, very, very fluid. Uh, and then Braylon Henderson, uh, a young man that is never redshirted, has played a bunch already. He's made some big catches for us. Uh, Braylon's from uh, Plano, Texas, and is, is a dynamic receiver, can play a little bit inside and outside. I think those three guys, with the addition of a couple freshmen that we have, um, we got a high-end uh, recruit this year, uh, a local kid, Carson Heggerly, who had a number of FBS offers. Um, he's a big, long receiver, very similar um, physically to Christian. And so it'll be interesting to see how quickly he can, he can transition into the college game. Last one for you, Coach. I
0: really appreciate the time. I know in a recent interview you spoke to Cam Miller. Cam Miller, it's his job to lose at the quarterback position.
3: What exactly are your expectations for him going into this season? Well, I want, to see, I want to see Cam continue to be efficient with the football. And that's one of the things that he really did an outstanding job with in the 21 season, is you go back and and, and look at what we did statistically, and all of a sudden, you re- we were one of the most efficient throwing teams in the country. Now, we're, we weren't one of the sexiest throwing teams in the country and there's a big difference but we did we took what the the defenses gave us and we were able to continue to move the chains stay ahead of the chains and score touchdowns in the red zone and a lot of that had to do with cam's decision making but um there's some times and some games missouri state would be one of them uh where you know he does have a level of moxie that uh, i think is is underappreciated uh, and uh you know i'm excited for him going into into his third Fall now. Again, that's when I see the greatest improvement or kids take the biggest leap in just their understanding of what we're trying to accomplish, both offensively and defensively from a schematic standpoint.
0: Coach, I know you don't need me to tell you this, but you do a phenomenal job there at North Dakota State. I'll be always rooting for the Bison. I, wish, I really appreciate the time and I wish you the best of luck this upcoming season.
3: I appreciate it. Thanks for having us on.
0: Now, joining the podcast is Abe Lucas of Washington State. Abe, great to have you on the show. Great to be here, man. You are doing 30 visits right now. We were talking a little bit before we started recording that these can be a bit tiring, outside of the constant travel. How have those conversations gone? How has it been meeting with the teams?
2: Been good. Uh, it's definitely unlike anything I've ever really experienced before. You know, um, I'm sure, getting a lot of miles uh, flying around everywhere, but um, yeah, I mean, it's just, I mean, there's a certain process to it. You know, some do it differently than others, but. You know, meet with coaches, learn about the offense a little bit and you know, talk ball.
0: And I want to go back to, before we look at this pre-draft process, talk about senior Bowl, combine, pro days, and all that kind of stuff, I wanted to speak to just like your Washington State experience, right? You were there in the Mike Leach era and even beyond the Mike Leach era, had opportunity. I think you have over 3,000 career snaps played at Washington State, one of the more experienced offensive linemen in this draft class. Going back to the Mike Leach era, there's this negative connotation, right, around the Mike Leach offense. They don't run the football. And the offensive linemen, they only have like certain type of pass sets. What was your experience like working in that you know, Mike Leach offense? And just how often – you were pass setting, right? A lot, of, a lot of pass protection reps in that offense.
2: Well, I don't know if i call it negative per se. I mean, no. it's sort of, they certainly are right about all the, the pass setting. I mean, it was called the air raid for a reason, right? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you go into a game knowing that you're probably going to be pass setting most of the night. Or, and um, it was amazing to me uh, about that offense is that it was just like it was a very execution-based So as long as you did it well, you know, you were going to be very successful. And, you know, we stuck with it. It was like, it was a very consistent thing. We were able to win a bunch of games out of that. So, I mean, it it all comes down to winning games at the end of the day. And that's, you know, just how we were doing it.
0: And do you get questions about that offense specifically and kind of your experience in it, right? Or or is there not really questions specific to that?
2: There are. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've been a part of two totally different schemes. I mean, one was more pass-based and one was more uh, RPO based. So, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, the biggest critique of my film is that I don't, or we didn't run the ball obviously. Uh, so it's not really something I've ever been taught, but I mean, at doing things that like the senior role, I've proved I have like potential to be mm-hmm. able to learn that and continue getting better at that.
0: What would you say the biggest learning, you know, learning moment you had or biggest things you've learned in that transition from obviously the Leach offense to the a era?
2: Um, I started getting on the board more uh, and being able to talk ball more than anything and just identify fronts and such. Uh, I wasn't too experienced in that, uh, in the leech offense, and that was my own fault, just kind of not staying up on it. Uh, But, you know, when Rolovich came in and my coach, uh, I named Mark Weber, he really kind of, you know, he saw the potential in me, but was like, dude, like, you're going to have to really, really hit it hard on the board. Um, So that's when I really started to get on it.
0: We at PFF, you know, you brought up the Senior Bowl. You were one of the best performers there, in our opinion, in the practice weekend and the game itself. You know, what was that experience like for you and, and what things did you pick up there?
2: Uh, well, there wasn't a lot of sleep involved. Um, and that was a grind, certainly. I mean, that's one of the more intense things I've ever been a part of just because, you know, everybody wants to do so well. And so, you know, the anxiety, the adrenaline, everything is on, like, level 11. Um, but it was uh, it was interesting, you know, learning or essentially learning a whole playbook in three days and, you know just trying to put it all together and just uh you know meeting a whole bunch of new people that you haven't played with before playing against guys you haven't really seen film on um so you know you just kind of i mean for lack of a better term you're going and you kind of wing it a little bit you know and just do what you're taught and you know get better there
0: Something that I think gets underrated with you in this pre-draft process, you go to the combine, six foot, six foot six, three fifteen, and you test in the 90th percentile, forty-yard dash, three cone, and twenty-yard shuttle. Like people should not—you <laughs> are one of the highest-profile athletes in this, you know, offensive tackle class. I'm sure that gets brought up a lot in these team interviews as well. But is that something that you knew you're going to flex going into Indianapolis, or, or what was that process like? Training for the combine and then the reactions after that?
2: Uh, well, you know, I didn't the 40 was the only thing I really didn't expect, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I put the goal to myself to run sub five, but I was thinking more like four, nine, eight, four, nine, nine stuff. Cause when we were training on the lasers, I, I ran initially I ran like a five one, and then I got it down to a five oh five. Uh, so I can't, I was like, okay, like I'll have the adrenaline going, I'll have everything going and I'll be able to run a four, nine, nine. Awesome. And then, you know, it, it came up as a five flat unofficially. So I was like, oh, I did it. It's right there. And then the second one was a five flat. And I was like, ah, well, I was that close. And then, you know, guys like will text their agents and stuff on the field, like after they run because you got so much time. And my agent said, like, dude, you're in a 4.92. And I was like, <laughs> no, I stop lying, you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I was really glad it, it worked out that way because I trained hard for it, obviously. And then combine training is so different really than just football training because you're training for like specific events. You know what I mean? You're training for the bench and, and for the 40 and for agility stuff. So, I mean, it was a lot more relaxed than I thought it would be. Uh, but as far as like the agility stuff in the three cone and the shuttle, I've always been pretty good at that. You know, I, uh, that was my, one, of, one of my favorite things to compete at at WSU was uh, in the agility drills because I would try to keep up with like uh, the receivers and stuff, you know, because, you know, I, w- I would win a lot and then I would go against the receiver and I would stick with them a little bit. Mm-hmm you know, not, not for great distances, obviously. Like if I ran a 40, I'd get smoked against a receiver. But.
0: <laughs> you mentioned, uh, you know, how different it is to tra- train for those combine drills, right? The 40 and the three cone and all that different stuff versus what you do in a given, you know, week, right? And when you're playing actually in the season, do, you know, I guess rate it on the level of importance, right? Because it gets, you know, there's so much glamour around the combine and, you know, how important it is to be an athlete and all that stuff. I mean, how important do you see, you know, athletic testing in this process or how important to, you know, for, your perspective in these conversations with team how important do you think teams perceive it as
2: i mean i think that teams look at different things you know uh, i think mainly like for an offensive lineman you probably look at like the 10 yard split time rather than the like 40 time itself i mean obviously if you run like sub five, that's great and you know if you run like a 5-5 five, five, like that's pretty bad but mm-hmm. um you know it's it's interesting because i think that when it's all said and done the thing that's going to be looked at the most is the film Uh, And the film is really what's going to take you the farthest. And then, of course, how well you know how to talk ball.
0: On film, what would you say your strengths are, right? We know you're the athlete and all those things, but what do you think stands out when you go back and watch yourself?
2: So, I mean, the thing that I think is going to stand out the most for me is obviously my past pro stuff, just because so much of my college career was so heavily based in that. I mean, obviously there's still room to improve and I'll continue to get better, but I would say that's what my strength is.
0: And where would you say that biggest opportunity to improve? Right, you mentioned the critique is the run game, and really just experience. Right, is it just about getting reps in the NFL?
2: Yeah, I mean, I would. would say hit it on the head there. Um, yeah, I need to. I need to be out, and I need to be doing it, and I need to learn it from somebody, obviously, who knows how to do it. You know, I mean, I know I gotta have a general idea of it. I've been working at it. You know, but you know the the pass blocks reps, to run block reps in college, kind of speak for themselves on the whole thing.
0: And are there tackles in the NFL that you watch film of to kind of, you know, get parts of their game? Did you ever, you know, obviously in the season, you're doing a lot of, you know, opponent film work, right and game planning, but in the summers, do you ever turn on offensive, you know, NFL offensive tackle tape?
2: Sure, sure, yeah. Um, well, my buddy, uh, my buddy Andre it at the Eagles is a really good tackle. So, and, you know, I play with him at WSU, so yeah. I watch him and, you know, his footwork is, he's got really good foot feet and stuff. And um, I watch a lot of Garrett Bulls. you uh, play and I'm, I really like appreciate the way he's able to stay square and then the guys like as far as right tackles go guys like uh Brian O'Neill you know
0: you you also meant you know you mentioned you played with Andre Dillard you played in your first season there at Washington State with Gardner Minshew he's a guy I've had on this podcast a handful of times he is uh one of the funnier dudes I've talked to what was that experience like now he's like this star in the NFL this personality in the NFL uh
2: well I did not not expect him to be you know I mean he's got an <laughs> personality and you know i love to block and form and yeah he's just like like all that you see you know it's not a joke or a phase or anything that's yeah. just how he is you know just a, a goofy guys man he he had like in the locker room i remember he would be in a jock strap and just a jock strap and would just be like doing some like band exercise and would just be like <laughs> people like dead in the eye and stuff but it was so uncomfortable but it was so funny at the same time that's incredible.
0: When I talked to him, I was like, I need some stories from your time. He's like, there's so many stories I can't tell you. He's got some crazy <laughs> ones, I'm sure. Uh, one more question for you, even I'll let you go. I really appreciate the time. Your biggest goals going into year one in the NFL, what are you putting on your goals here?
2: Uh, well, for year one, well, I have more of a tenure plan, so to speak, but I guess to narrow it down to year one, uh, be a starter, uh, be a pro bowler and be all pro, and then above all else, just get better. You know, um, And if that we get that chance to win a Super Bowl wherever we go, of course, that's an added plus. Uh, but really, I just, you know, stake my claim and improve.
0: Abe, hey, this is fantastic. I really appreciate the time and I wish you the best of luck moving
2: forward. Absolutely. Thank you.